With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 4th, the New to News edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, and communications consultant, and mom to Naima, who's seven, and we live in hell. AKA the United States of America, specifically the Los Angeles part. Hey, I'm Dan Kweiss. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 12. We live in Arlington, Virginia, just across the Potomac River from hell, as it currently exists. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three boys, Henry eight, Oliver six, and Teddy three. And I'm located in Navarre, Florida, where everyone who is fleeing all the other parts of the country are coming. So that's lovely. Today on the show, since you told us what you wanted, what you really, really wanted, we will be answering two listener questions like we used to do. First, we'll be discussing how children consume news. What news is age appropriate? And what are reliable news sources? How do you contextualize news for your kids? Boy, do I have a story about that this week. We'll also be answering a listener question from a parent whose daughter really, really, really wants a cat. And her mom is thinking of finally caving after five years of asking, but is still concerned. What if the cat becomes a point of tension within the family? And as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with you, Dan. Do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have a triumph, archetypal dad triumph, I would say, which is that I taught Lyra to mow the lawn and she mowed the lawn successfully. She didn't really argue. She just said, okay. And she just went out and did it. It was really spectacular. Like I tried to pitch it in ways that, you know, might be interesting to her. You know, I told her you can consider lawn mowing a kind of aesthetic puzzle. Like how do you cover our oddly shaped front yard as efficiently as possible? Just going back and forth as few times as you can, but whatever she chose to do it the Lyra way, which was to just roll like straight across the middle of the lawn and then zigzag all over the place until finally the lawn was mowed, but whatever she did it. And now this household task is hers as well as mine, which I find extremely gratifying. And I got to say, I felt just peak dad as I stood at the front door watching her toil in the sun. It felt really, really great. But then when she was done, she reaped the benefits, which were that, you know, we still have these daily responsibilities that our kids have to do that we keep track of using the easy to remember acronym Tickergum which I have trademarked. And I told her that lawn mowing counts as both chores and an outside activity. So she got to knock out two hours with one hour of work. So everyone won. It was great. Great, great moment for me. What kind of lawnmower? I'll tell you in the recommendations section, Elizabeth. (gasps) Okay. Okay. (laughs) What about you, Elizabeth? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I have just like a confusion of life. But ultimately, I think I'm going to just end with a triumph. So I've just been like completely overwhelmed by everything happening in the world and just like just the weight of everything. And then like an hour ago, the tropical storm got a name and it's headed my way. And I just feel like the inability to make any decisions, not that I'm close to needing to think about evacuating, but like with COVID and with all of that, like making those kind of decisions, like, do I go to my parents' house, you know, those sorts of things. And also, I think just with everything that's happening with protests and riots and all of that, I'm the type of person that likes to, like, jump up, take action, make change, figure out what I can do. And I am, like, stuck in this house in kind of the middle of nowhere, Florida with these kids. And I really feel kind of ultimately 
helpless. And so what has happened is that I just was have been really short with the kids. Like I just can't understand how like the grapes that I've put on the table are, are not enough or not cut the right way. And I, I just have had a really hard time with that. So it was kind of like a rough weekend because I tend to be the like peppy person in the house and like keeping everyone kind of on the up and up and things moving. And that did not happen. But because we're all home, we've been doing lunch as like our big meal. So that way I don't have any cleanup at dinner and um, we just make a big meal and that puts all the mealtime fights there too. So today, this is what I'm going to pitch as my win. Teddy just sat down and ate, Teddy, you know, the virus, uh, sat down and ate eggplant Parmesan without any complaint, said, I'm eating this without tears, ate it, and then went into his room and laid down for a nap, which he never takes. And it just feels like this little win that I did nothing to deserve. But eggplants are like one of the things I can grow in the yard. So we eat a lot of them. So it just feels really nice that he ate this. In the midst of all the chaos, it was like one less fight. So I feel like tons of confusion, tons of just like angst and all of that, but ending in a child eating something that he wouldn't touch like two days ago. So yay. Getting a kid to eat eggplant is definitely a triumph, regardless of the circumstances, I think. I have a fail wrapped in a triumph. I am also struggling with a lack of ability to just get up and do perhaps what I might do in terms of what's going on in the world were I not a parent. And I think that's a thing that certainly we all deal with it, regardless of you know what's going on in the world or what's going on in our personal lives or the structure of our family. At some point, just thinking of how things would be different if I weren't a parent right now. What could I go do personally, professionally, you know, on behalf of the world around me, whatever it is, we have those moments. And you feel guilty about it because it feels akin to regretting the lives of your children, right? Which is certainly not what we are doing, but sometimes you you can't help but to think it would be easier to not be a parent right now and to not have this responsibility or to not have to consider this person or these people when I'm making all my decisions. So there's a part of me that wants to be in the streets protesting, or supporting protests in ways that I can't because not only because I have a child, but because we're in the middle of a deadly pandemic. So I can't even simply saying, I'll just take you to your dad's house and I'll go protest and I'll go, you know, do things on behalf of the protesters and come back to you because then I could be exposing my child and her dad's household to coronavirus and as well as exposing myself. And that's just been a crazy amount of weight to deal with. You know, for folks who might have followed me on Twitter or read my writing for some years, I spent quite a bit of time in Ferguson in 2014 and 2015. So this has been a trip, to say the least, to be watching not only these things taking place in so many locations at once, but to also be seeing it everywhere that I've lived. And so... On Saturday, I just kind of had a thought, and Naima was with me. We could go to Costco and get some food and water and and just bring it to the protesters and kind of get in, get out. We pulled up, and we were on the periphery of, you know, the third and Fairfax hotspot where a lot of businesses had been looted, and the police were acting completely chaotic and inciting violence, as they often do. And... We were in the car and I felt we were far away enough to be what could be considered a safe distance while still being in it. And I didn't really see a place where I could just drop things off. I was trying to find a friendly face with someone who's like, you know, hey, you seem like you're posted up. Can I give you these pallets of water and food? You know, I've got my little one with me. I can't really distribute. And not being able to find that, just kind of stayed in the traffic for a while. And I handed out food and water while Naima sat in the back of the car, masked up, and it was fine until it wasn't. And the tear gassing escalated to the point where it met us in the car. And Naima had her first taste of tear gas, which of course, deeply upset her and scared her. And even though I would not say, you know, she kept saying, we got tear gas. And I said, we didn't get tear gas. The police were tear gassing people and, you know, it, it travels and it, it hit us a little bit. There was some coughing and some eyes burning, but it wasn't, you know, it was over very quickly for her, but it obviously impacted her. And I feel very bad about that. You know, there's a part of me that also knows I can't protect her from the knowledge of what's going on, you know, that she's going to encounter it on social media. Somehow she's going to encounter it on television. She needs to be aware of it. I don't want her to 
as much as I'm trying to keep her spirits up and keep her focused on other things that, you know, there's a level of awareness that I think at seven she's capable of having and deserves to have of what's going on in the world, particularly because these protests are about her and about her life and her ability to live free and that people are fighting with the hopes that when she is an adult, she won't have to fight in the same way that my parents did, that my grandparents and my great grandparents did. And so the fail, you know, for me is not simply the exposure to the tear gas and, and any trauma that might have caused, but that I asked her not to tell her father that it had happened and that I wanted to be the one to talk to him about it. I feel like my relationship to the world is so often Lucy McGillicuddy, everyone else is Ricky, and I'm just trying to get away with doing the best I can. Just, I know what you're thinking, you guys. I know what you're thinking. And so I had a very brief conversation with him about it. Really, when I dropped her off, I told her, you know, we got a little closer to the action than intended and we left, you know, and so we tasted a little tear gas and it led to a terse text message exchange. It should have been a phone call between the two of us. And because we don't have terse text message exchanges, that has stressed me out a bit. And I know I could have handled it better, really in terms of just communicating with him about it, as opposed to kind of like trying to downplay it and keep it on the low between us, which is an unfortunate weight to put on a child, a weight that she couldn't bear because she broke down and cried and, you know, said she was going to get in trouble for telling because I asked her not to tell. So I also know that she's a snitch, but then, (laughs) (laughs) but she has every right to be one because she's seven. I shouldn't have asked her not to say anything. So everything sucks. It's not my fault. I'm doing my best, but that is my triumphal for the week. Triumphal. Um, Yeah, I'm not inclined to judge you harshly for this at all. Like, I think you were doing something amazing with your daughter and incorporating her into this, what seems plausibly like a generational nation changing event, hopefully for the good, maybe for the bad. And your eyes were on her safety and you kept her safe. Like you had a close call, but you were not careless and you were not uncautious and you got her out of there when the time to get out of there happened. It seems to me like that's exactly the kind of thing that we all should be doing at this point, finding ways to help that incorporate our children and that help them understand the ways that we should be supporting what's going on while keeping them as safe as we can in this world. So I view this as a straight triumph. Uh, Maybe the part where you found out she was a snitch, that's a low-level fail. But (laughs) I have faith in your and her dad's ability to talk your way out of this one. I think so. I I think we'll be fine. And I do appreciate that he expressed his appreciation for what I was attempting, you know, for what I did and what I you know, have been trying to do. So it wasn't a matter of judgment over that, just about the communication and also a very clear preference that I did not bring Naima to any more protests um, that may have become militarized. And I agree that that is not a thing that I will do again. It seems like you really set out with a plan to be involved in a way that was safe. And it's never fun to like admit that something didn't go according to plan. And as a result, this thing happened. So, you know. Just doing my best. You are doing your best. You are. You should definitely give yourself grace, not perfection, right? Absolutely. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. So before we move on, we have some business, of course. Slate's parenting newsletter is, as always, the best place to be notified about all of our great parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting and care and feeding and so much more. It's also a fun personal email from Dan in your inbox every week. So please sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. It was a real nostalgia fest last week. Boy, man. Just yes. baby Harper all the way through. You'll be touched. You'll be surprised. You'll be delighted with this email each week. And again, it is so personal that the first time I received it, I thought Dan was talking just to me. <laughs> And of course, if you haven't already, please check us out on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. It's an active community. Folks are providing support and ideas on how to get through this very difficult time with our children. And it is well moderated, so you don't have to worry about it getting out of control like so many other spaces on the internet are, particularly right now. And also on Facebook, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, there's a live care and feeding show with the fabulous Nicole Cliff. All you have to do to catch it live is to go to Slate's Facebook page at 11 Eastern every Tuesday, or you can watch previous episodes on Slate's YouTube page. Today on Slate Plus, we'll be talking about J.K. Rowling's new kids book, The Ichabog. And here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Even I don't know what happens next. And we're <laughs> reading this together as a family is really fun because we haven't encountered that. Like all the books we're reading as a family are books that I've read and I like know. And so when they ask me things about it, it's like this, I have a secret mm -hmm. situation. And so I love that this is like, guys, I really don't know. And the next chapter, like it's it's just not even here. So we can only read what we're being given. So here's segments like that. And to get ad-free versions of our podcast, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only $35 in your first year. And as you may know, a lot of media companies are struggling right now. Slate is certainly no exception. And so now more than ever, we'd really appreciate your direct support for all of Slate's entertaining content and important journalism. Besides ad-free podcasts, Slate Plus members won't hit a paywall on the site. And so you can enjoy all of Slate's journalism without worrying if you've reached your article limit. If you'd like to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Dan, I think we have one more piece of business. We just want to let everyone know we surveyed listeners about how they felt about the all ages segments we've been doing. Everyone is fighting now. And surveys really work. Turns out that most listeners didn't really like the segments that much, so we're killing them. We're going to go back to Mom and Dad are Fighting being a mostly for adults podcast. We wanted to thank everyone for letting us know how they felt and letting us know what they like best about the show. It was really helpful. So thanks to all those who submitted responses. Between the pandemic and nationwide protests over and featuring escalating police violence, there are a lot of current events that kids should be aware of. So we wanted to talk about how kids consume news, and that connects to our first listener question. How do kids watch the news these days? We watch very little network news on TV. I get most of my news coverage from a few select internet sources and NPR. I used to use Car Time to talk about things heard on the radio, but Car Time is extremely limited these days. I feel more of a need to discuss the outside world with my two kids, ages 10 and eight. Suggestions? Read a newspaper article with them once per day? make an effort to watch the nightly news? Are there any news podcasts for kids? I love this question because it feels like we all sort of need a class in how to get the news and where to get the news from. And I personally think your kids are never too young to kind of start that. I tend to lean away from any kind of visual news just because I've noticed that my children have a much harder time with kind of the visual aspects of things. And it gives me... I don't want to say less control over the messaging, but that's essentially what it is. Like if we're reading something, I'm able to stop and help them process. So I like kind of text-based options. We tend to use meal times for this, particularly like within our homeschool. So maybe we're going to listen to a news podcast. There's one called Kids News, which is spelled K-I-D-N-U-Z. 
it's like in depth, but kind of dry, but also semi entertaining. And the kids really like that. The things are short and presented in a nice way. So we can listen to that as a family, even the three year old, and then I'm able to like take questions about that about what's going on. They recently on Monday led off their protest segment focusing on Nike's campaign, which is called the Don't Do It campaign, asking people not to pretend that people aren't treated differently because of the color of their skin. And I thought that was a wonderful way to broach this topic with my kids in a way that we could then go in depth depending on their age and talk about the things that were happening. But they used a kind of easy entrance way that all of the kids could digest. I also really like the kids post from the Washington Post and then um, the Learning Network from the New York Times, which present kid-friendly articles um, that are well-written, fact-based. The seven-year-old can read most of them on his own, um, which is nice. And we sometimes like assign an article for school or for reading. But again, reading them as a family and just treating this as like, this is important I also think it's a good time to talk about like where your news is coming from and using a critical filter, especially with the kids like talking to their friends online or um, I know Henry now can like text and stuff using uh, Facebook Messenger and is getting information that way. So I always want to make sure that he's thinking about like kids are not the most reliable source of information. We've talked a lot about how like breaking news is not always the most reliable source of information that sometimes just like waiting for some information to come on and really applying a critical lens about like, does this sound too good to be true? Does this make sense? Where can we check this? It's, it's also like a good time to teach them those skills because there's just so much information coming in right now. And I think it's really important because that that's not going to change for them, like the amount of information that they are going to have access to for the rest of their lives. And I think that if you are not setting the tone about how you get your news, when you get your news, and that getting news is important, that someone else is going to teach them that. And I don't want that to be left up to someone else. And I think that certainly not all the problems we're having, but a lot of them are because we haven't necessarily educated people about you know, news sources and how that news is created and what we're seeing. Obviously, if you have older kids, I think they have much more access and and using, you know, video content can be a, a wonderful way to really illustrate or show someone what's happening. But again, for my young kids, just text based has been a really a good way to be able to stop and control the flow and make sure that everybody's kind of following and I know some of my friends have expressed concern about like kids being scared. And I guess we are just not a family that necessarily stops because of that. I think the world is kind of a scary place and that I want them to know that these things are happening and that there are things that we can do. And of course, I tend to be a like proactive kind of positive person. So trying to help us find those things like, okay, this bothers us. Why does it bother us? What can we do about it? What kind of steps can we take? And I think those conversations, like you can gear your conversation at a designated mealtime around those things. And so yes, the initial thing is scary. I mean, I know one of the things specifically about the protest that has hit my kids very hard is this idea of the police not always being good. Because for them, like they love to play police and they love to, you know, see police officers around. And a lot of that is because we were exposed to a lot of police officers in the Netherlands that are walking around and serving very like basic public functions of just being present. That is much more how the Dutch did their policing while we were there. Teaching them here that like there are bad people that come in all forms and that it is important that just because they wear a uniform doesn't make what they're doing right or that, you know, asserting authority in these situations is not right. And that to them has been something that they are just very confused by. But I think it's such an important point to, you know, make with them. And it also gives me an idea of now what kind of things, resources I need to go look for to address this. So I know there's a big push to share all these resources of books and other things to deal with what's happening. But if you can target that to what your children need. So I have been like specifically seeking out books for kids about kind of these racial injustice issues, because that is something that they have not encountered. 
and that they are expressing kind of concern about. So I guess my advice is to do it, pick a meal time. You know your kids and what they can handle. So looking for those kind of resources and pushing your boundaries, even if it feels, you know, a little bit uncomfortable and scary. But I don't know, Dan, what do you think? You gave really good advice for younger kids, particularly. I might just hit on a couple of things for older kids. I'm also not a fan of the nightly news or of cable news for kids. I'm often not a fan of the nightly news or cable news at all. And I think for kids, particularly even older kids, the kind of incomplete picture that the nightly news delivers generally is not that useful and that the images that come associated with the news often do tend to sort of blot out any kind of critical thought for kids. That certainly was the case when I was little, and I think it's the case for my kids now. So I'm pretty into print and online as well for my kids in the way that they deal with news. One suggestion I'd make, particularly for kids this letter writer's kids' age, is the New York Times for Kids. It's a monthly supplement that comes with the Sunday Times, which you can subscribe to in print for not that much money at all. It's a special section run by the people who run the New York Times Magazine that is designed, written, and created for kids right in that sweet spot of your kid's age. It's extremely engaging. It's very, very well curated and well written. It's fun but also just sort of densely packed with thoughtful ways of thinking about what's in the news right now. And it has a little handy thing on the front of every issue, which says, warning, this is not meant to be read by adults, which uh, my kids find quite useful to know. (laughs) It's just very good. And I would sort of expand that a little to suggest to the extent that your family can afford it and handle it, having a print newspaper sitting around the house is really useful for this specific purpose. Not just the special sections for kids. Kids Post, as Elizabeth mentions in the Washington Post, is also very good. But because the sort of daily practice of sitting down with the newspaper, of seeing your parents sit down with the newspaper, or even just the Sunday practice of seeing your parents sit down with the newspaper, and having those headlines and those news out on the table at all times, available for you to browse, pick up, to model after your parents' behavior, and to occasionally ask questions about is very, very, very useful. That said, older kids are definitely getting most of their news off the internet. And so, you know, one tactic that we do at our house, which I really recommend, is just when there is a story in the news or when there's something happening in the world that you really think is worth talking to them about, just sit them down and ask them open-ended questions about what they are seeing in their news sources. We, the other night, talked with the kids out on the porch after dinner and said, you know, what have you been hearing about the protests that are going on? Do you know the initial thing that sparked these protests? You know, what do you know about the other times that killings like this have happened at the hands of police in the United States? What are people that you're reading and talking to online saying about them? What kinds of videos have you seen and and what do you think about them? And the more open-ended questions you can ask, I think the more useful it is to start to hear what it is that they're seeing, processing, and thinking about it, and to start to gently guide them as much as you can towards the most useful information, the best resources, and to get a sense of how it is that they're starting to process this information and then do the sort of parental work of helping to guide them as you need to. And the letter writer is right that this is trickier now for a weird reason, which is that we're not in cars with our kids nearly as much. Cars are like the world's best place to talk to kids about tough stuff whether it's their personal lives or the news or anything. And we don't have that. It is useful to set aside some kind of time and space where these conversations can happen, whether it's mealtime, as Elizabeth suggests, or just an after-dinner family powwow or whatever. Jamila, what about you? I would say just to that last bit about car time that it sounds unlikely that you all are going back and forth between school or work together at this point, but it may be 
useful to take long drives or short drives around the neighborhood and get behind the wheel of the car and put on NPR and talk about some of these issues in the way that you might have if you did have your normal commute to do it. There may be something to the lack of intensity that you have when you have to keep your eyes on the road and the kids are, you know, you're not squaring off, staring each other down, but you're able to take a deep breath and think about what you need to say to them and respond while also having this important task before you, which is keeping everyone safe. In the brief amount of time that I've been driving here, that my daughter and I have had some pretty decent conversations in the car. And there are times I think that she feels comfortable saying certain things because I'm not staring her down. And that that lessens any possible tension or awkwardness a little bit. I'll say as a parent to a Black girl who was once a Black girl with parents who spent a lot of time both watching the news, watching television news, I should say, and listening to NPR, that I was raised with not just consistent exposure to both history and current events that is not necessarily, uh, when it comes to this particular issue, the, the issue of racism that is at the core of both these protests and in so many ways, the coronavirus pandemic and the public and government response to it. The news was always something that I was both privy to, but trained not to trust wholly. And there was an understanding that even programs that were good programs or considered to be good programs or necessary programs, such as a Meet the Press or an evening news hour on any network, had to be held to a certain level of scrutiny in terms of how certain things were spoken about. So there's hearing the news, like these are the things that are happening. And then there's also the lens through which that news is being presented to you. And so the skepticism that I've always had towards most news is something that I have had to train my daughter to have as well, that having had the experience of seeing things with my own eyes being reported differently on the news, either intentionally or just because of the lack of cultural context or nuance thinking on the part of the reporters or producers involved, that can be tricky because you're asking children to now not believe what they see or hear. But I think it's important that, particularly with an eight and 10-year-old, that on some level they are made aware of the fact that there is bias in news, that there are narratives that people are comfortable with or want to see that can be put forward that are not always true. And to the best of your ability, taking this information that they're receiving organically, because at 8 and 10, even with somewhat limited access to screens and devices, I would imagine that they are coming across some of these things independent of their parents. So it's not just a matter of what sort of news programming you've decided to share with them. If they have any screen time that has been on social media networks, including YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, if they are flipping channels while you're cooking dinner and attempting to land on Nickelodeon or something for children, but stopping on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News when they see some disturbing images and spending a few minutes watching those things, just don't take for granted that they're only consuming news in your presence or with your guidance. I just ask that for parents that are listening to this, that you... I know we don't all share the same ideological values, but I am one of the hosts of this show and not a listener. So I have the privilege of espousing mine and asking and hoping that more of you stand with me than those of you who do not. But I think it's important that do not overly consume yourself with using this as an opportunity to tell your children or to train your children the importance of respecting property or authority. You have had their lives up until this point to let them know that theft is something that is more often than not to be considered the wrong thing to do, and that people in positions of authority are to be respected. But now you have to scrape away some of that and talk about 
why we respect people in positions of authority. So it's not the inherent goodness of the police that should power your decision to say, yes, sir, no, sir, if you get pulled over or to be polite if they stop you on the street. It is, for many of us, an act of self-protection and a step that is taken in the service of our safety. I think now is the time, if you haven't already, to tell your children the complicated truth about the police, which is that in so many ways, this system was not designed to protect people. It was not designed to protect all people. And it does not always protect the people that are more often than not considered to be worthy of that protection. We've seen images of young, small white women being physically harmed and abused by police. That's not something that most people have seen. By the time you get to my age, you've seen a whole lot of images of Black people being abused and harmed by police. And I would imagine that if you were white in my age, you've seen those images over and over again. And a lot of people seem to believe that that is either the result of an inherent deficiency uh, or inability to behave on the part of Black people that requires police violence or, you know, a perhaps you do recognize that there is a police problem, but that problem has not been treated as one that everybody needed to address. It impacts certain people, and those people are the ones that have to stand up and speak for themselves. And if they don't stand up and speak for themselves in ways that are polite and memorable and remind us of the civil rights movement, which was not as popular as people would like to pretend in real time, that Dr. King was not treated as a gentle, loving humanitarian, but a rabble rouser and a violent agitator and was dealt with as such, which is why he's not here to speak on behalf of himself today. And that you have to be clear about that, that you have to teach your children that Black Lives Matter. You know, so often, occasionally here, and especially with Karen feeding, we get a lot of letters from white parents who want to avoid conversations about race and racism with their children because it's uncomfortable and because they want to protect their innocence. But that innocence is a privilege. And there are only but so many privileges that you can stand idly by and enjoy before you are somebody who is willfully upholding white supremacy. So it is one thing to recognize the privilege that you have, that it is unlikely that you or one of your loved ones will be physically harmed by a police officer outside of a protest situation. You probably can get in your car and run a stoplight or get a speeding ticket, or mouth off to a police officer who told you that you've parked illegally without being detained or physically harmed or worse. That is a privilege. That's a privilege that you can't abdicate. It's a privilege that you simply have. The privilege that you can abdicate is the one that allows you not to be uncomfortable with the fact that you have that privilege. The privilege to say, I want to keep my children innocent as long as possible because Black kids don't have the ability to just not know about these things. In fact, for Black parents, oftentimes class mobile ones, and even some that are in lower class communities Mm -hmm. who do attempt to keep their kids innocent and try not to talk to them about these things and try not to weigh them down with the weight of racism, they find themselves in a lot of pain when they are forced to confront these situations or when they're forced to confront the oppression that we have to deal with in this country and beyond. When it's a wake-up call, it's a difficult wake-up call. And there are adults that I know that are struggling right now because they somehow managed to believe that because they were college-trained and successful or because they grew up in certain communities that the sort of things that are happening right now could not have ever happened to them that the hatred toward their lives was not as omnipresent as it always has been. So I just ask that you speak to your children in clear terms and say, Black people in this country have been oppressed since its inception. They were brought here in bondage. They have been treated unjustly, even in the wake of emancipation. There have been laws, not just Jim Crow laws, There are still laws that restrict the ability of Black people to make decisions about their lives, to participate in the voting process, 
to have access to the things that they need to be successful, to be healthy, to be safe in this country. And they are upset. And while we don't like seeing images of people looting or breaking things or taking things that don't belong to them, we should be more focused on the empathy that we have for the struggles of our neighbors, of our friends, of people perhaps that we don't know at all outside of what we see on television who have been mistreated by this country in our name. And that when it comes to watching the news, there are a lot of folks in positions of power who are storytellers, who are producers, who are government officials, including the president of the United States, who do not want things to change. They don't want an America that is equal and just for all. They want to continue to have an underclass. They want to continue to have racism. And that is why when you look at certain news stories and you look at certain outlets, stories of uprising and protest are flattened to good people know how to ask for freedom quietly and bad people do not. That this is a complicated time. There are outside forces and provocateurs and agitators that are escalating violence. Many of them are police officers, but that the overwhelming narrative here needs to be, it is time for America to stop treating black people the way that it has. And what we're seeing right now, as difficult as it may be to watch, is the result of how these people have been treated. I'm so taken with this picture of little Jamila sitting at home in Chicago, watching her parents listen to NBR and hearing them sort of actively interact with that broadcast, you know, question it and debate it in ways that help that helped you start to understand um, their position towards certain kinds of authority. And I want to draw a connection between a couple of different points you made just now. You know, one goal that I have in my conversations with my kids and that I hope that all parents have as they see the news with their kids and as they talk about it is making it clear that a good citizen's interaction with different kinds of authority should be a kind of conversation and negotiation, whether it's news reporting or government authority or even, God help me, parental authority. You know, all these things are really comparable to kids, these kinds of authority. The voice coming out of the radio uh, or the man or woman on the TV saying the news and a police officer or a president or whatever, those are kinds of authority that they recognize and are starting to learn how to feel about and how to treat. And, and it's really useful and valuable to model to kids that their interaction with those kinds of authorities should be a give and take rather than a passive acceptance of what that authority delivers. I, I just think that that's crucial at this point. So I'm really glad, you know, to hear the points that both of you have made here. Particularly for younger children, the and, and perhaps for some older ones, drawing that parallel between parental authority and outside authority can be a powerful way of helping them to understand why there are uprisings as opposed to simply, quote unquote, peaceful protests. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you get into the nuances of how certain peaceful protests have been escalated by police officers, by showing up to a peaceful protest in riot gear, helps to create a violent situation from the jump as opposed to waiting for some protester to get overly agitated by that site. One thing I want to add, so if this is how you have been treated by your neighbors, if this is how you've been treated by teachers, if this is how you've been treated by police officers and other authority figures throughout your life, it teaches you a devastating lesson about who you are or who you should believe yourself to be. And when you are clear that that is not the truth of who you are, when you are clear that your black friends are not the monsters that they have been told that they are, it inspires righteous anger. And it's good to be angry at times. Anger is not always a bad thing. We, we tell you not to get angry when you lose a game of Uno or when your brother eats the last cookie or when your parents say it's time to go to bed because those aren't times for anger. 
They can be times for disappointment. They can be times for sadness, but they don't necessitate anger. And if you are angry in those moments, we talk about why are we angry and how can we address that? This kind of anger is different. And it may make them angry to hear these things. It should make them angry. It should make them sad and frustrated and confused because it is frustrating and confusing and it's not right. And what we're seeing goes against the values that most parents would teach their children, even if they are racist themselves. We would not say that you should respond favorably when mistreated. We would not say that you should uh, kowtow in the face of unkind treatment and abuse and be okay with it and that they should understand that that's what they're seeing before them. And so what they can do outside of participating in protests, if that's something that you feel comfortable doing with your family or supporting in some way by maybe fundraising in your community to support bail funds or, you know, making masks and supplies and donating them and dropping them off to protesters, that one important thing that they can do is recognize the power that they have when it comes to speaking to their friends. When they hear something racist, when they hear something unkind, they should challenge it. When a teacher or a principal or another adult has said something racist or unkind, if they're in a position to challenge it in real time, they should. And if not, it's something they should share with their parents. But that complacency is perhaps the largest culprit here because it hasn't taken everyone's direct action to lead us to this point. It has taken the silence of people who knew better, the silence of people who were uncomfortable after the death of Trayvon Martin and said and did nothing with people who were uncomfortable after the death of Michael Brown and said and did nothing, who were uncomfortable after the beating of Rodney King in 1992 and the ensuing riots in LA. And instead of perhaps standing up and saying something on his behalf, focused on the destruction that took place in the uprisings, that we've got to stop our focus on the violence and upheaval taking place that community members have participated in willfully and instead keep our focus on the real bad actors here. I love the piece when you were talking about like respecting authority, because I think that authority is earned, not like shouldn't be given and teaching our kids that is so important. And, you know, at the heart of so much of this is that, law enforcement in many other places hasn't earned the respect of the black community and of, of many other communities either. We use kind of like an anger chart with the kids to talk about what kind of reaction is appropriate for each things. And this is one of the tools in talking about this that I've used with the kids to just demonstrate to them that like this highest level of anger is reserved for like the following things. And we are in there. And to say like, okay, you know, this level of anger is not appropriate, like you said, when we don't get what we want or this, but it is absolutely appropriate when people are dying and when these things are happening. And I think using that, like you said, it hopefully you have made it clear to your children that like stealing is not right and setting things on fire is not right. But also to demonstrate that like there are also times in which that is the only available avenue that is left. And that is where we are. What action then do we take to bring everything back down? And when you're up that high, you know, one of the things you talk about with this anger chart is like, when you're up there, it's the, the actions are no longer simple, right? Like, we're now talking about much larger actions, but there are simple steps that we can take as a family, many of which you mentioned, many of which are being shared. Some of the things that are being shared are things about bringing resources into your house and about making things um, part of your routine. And I think that is incredibly important, be that one of the things we have been doing is printing out that list of what the person was doing and that they were killed, detained, almost detained, whatever, as a result of that, and reading that together and praying for those people in that family. But as a mem as a way to say, like, this stuff is happening, and it happened in the past when we weren't paying attention to it, and we need to make sure that we're paying attention to it. And I think ingraining those things in your life now, and be that making time to read the news together, doing those sort of actions now to guard yourself against this 
I think fatigue that will hit or that this isn't the most recent atrocity that is, that is happening to this country at this moment. Cause that seems to be the way 2020 is going. So I, I just hope that you can take Jamila so much of what you said and for people that it wasn't a part of their lives, find a way to make it a permanent part of your life because that is the only way that this is going to change, which is evidence of like why we are why we are where we are and why things are being burned and why things have because it continues to happen and the change you know doesn't happen. It it is like a passing thing that occurs for a huge part of the population and then they they let it, you know, pass by. So I personally feel like that's something that we are trying to do to make sure that we don't let that happen to how we deal with this in our family. And I encourage other people to try to make sure that you're not just going to read the book to put it on yourself, whatever the book of the moment, you know, that's being shared is, but that you read it and figure out a way to make this a part of your life. Guarding against complacency is maybe the first actually useful use of hopes and prayers I've ever heard of. So good job. Very good. Thank you for the question. If you'd like to send us a question for the show, you can send us an email at slate.com or you can do what the previous listener did and post it to the Slate Parenting Group. Before we move on to our second listener question, Dan, I think you have an update from a previous question that we've answered on the show. I do. A couple weeks ago, we got a letter from a parent who was feeling very upset about the way that her son did not want to participate in any at-home graduation activities. He was graduating from high school. She was feeling frustrated, and we talked through it and gave some advice, and she wrote back to give us an update, which I'm so thrilled to share with everyone. I had a talk with my son and validated him for not wanting to celebrate. I asked him to consider our feelings, too, and the feelings of his grandparents, He thought about it and told me, fine, but no balloons or banners. So the entire family dressed up, which was requested by one of his grandmothers, and he wore a tie and jacket. He was okay with us taking pictures, so he took them by the banner that his other grandmother had bought for him, which he finally agreed to put as long as it was in the backyard, not the front yard. We viewed the video senior send-off from his school in our backyard, Viewing outside made it feel different than just watching it in our family room and getting dressed up made it feel really special to me. I had envisioned a trumpet player, lawn signs, streamers in our trees, toilet paper all over the house, a driveway with sidewalk chalk announcing that he did it. None of that happened, and I was okay with it. At the end of the day, my son sat next to me, put his arms around me, and thanked me for listening to his needs. It was a great day, and I think he felt the same. Thanks to all of you and to your guest high school students for their advice. Yay. Aw. We're glad to hear that. They did a little bit of everything and it worked out great. Yeah. Well, we are glad that it worked out and that you found a way to celebrate that didn't make your son miserable. And there was a little bit of compromise and a good time had by all. So thank you so much, Letter Writer. And thank you for getting back to us and letting us know how it went. We love updates and we invite everyone who has had a letter or question read on the air to reach back out unless somehow our advice has sent your life on some sort of terrible spiral in which we would prefer not to be held accountable for that. But I don't think that would ever be the case. If your house burned down because of my advice, I am not legally liable for you following any recipe that I give on the air. (laughs) If your child is popped in the face with a boom blast stick. Uh, Just know (laughs) that Dan will escape accountability for it one way or another. That's correct. That's correct. All right. So our second listener question, I have two kids and a dog. My daughter has been asking for a cat since she was two. I thought she'd grow out of it, but she's about to turn seven and she's still yearning for a feline friend. I am a dog person and I don't get it. I had a bad experience when my husband and I moved in together and his jealous cat peed and puked on my stuff only my stuff. It sucked. His cat died before we had kids, so it's not like she's missing him. Anyway, I'm seriously considering getting her a cat for her birthday. Is this what months of quarantine have done to my brain? What if I get her a cat and it doesn't give her the time of day? What if I get her a cat and it leads to fights between me and my husband? He and I have discussed it and agreed I won't be responsible for any litter box issues or grooming. I am happy to take care of our dog if he can take care of the cat. I'm scared of this becoming something I have to remind him about or nag him about and it becoming a source of tension in our family. What would you do? Dan, let's start with you. Get the cat. 
Look, I am very sympathetic to a parent not wanting to get a pet. We currently don't want to get a pet. We are fending off Harper's patient, endless campaign for us to get a dog to replace Dora, our beloved dog who died before we left on the trip. But we don't want a pet right now. We don't want the hassle. We don't want the expense, the complication. I particularly don't want a bunch of pet dander floating around making me miserable all the time. So if you're a parent who who just really thinks getting a pet is a bad idea for your family right now, I stand with you and urge you to hold the line. But letter writer, you already have a pet. You have a dog. You love the dog. And so adding a cat to your household at this point doesn't fucking matter at all because cats are like no work compared to dogs. So just make your kid happy and get the stupid cat. It'll be fine. What do you guys think? I think if you don't want a cat, don't get a cat. (laughs) Get the cat. Okay, here's the thing. If you are saying that you will probably have to nag your husband to do this, this suggests to me that present behavior is that you have to nag your husband to do things. And the best predictor of the behavior in the future is the behavior you have now. So if you have to nag your husband to do chores now, the cat, no matter how cute, will not change that. You will be changing that litter box. If that is going to make you crazy, then you shouldn't get a cat. But I also think just because your kid wants a cat, don't get a cat. Like, okay, they waited all this time, but eventually your child will also be old enough to have their own cat. And so if this is like something they really want, they can get their own cat when they go out. But that being said, if you just really feel like maybe you want a cat, which I think is why you're writing a letter, because you like, if you didn't want the cat, you wouldn't get the cat, but maybe you want a cat. I think you should foster a cat. I think that you should find a cat rescue and you should foster a cat. They usually will send you with most of the things. You can try out this cat, provide a home for this lovely cat that is not at the shelter, which is particularly needed um, during quarantine. And I think that this is a great way to kind of see if your daughter really wants a cat, if your husband's really going to do the work. Perhaps this cat gets adopted by someone else and then you can have done a nice thing, or perhaps you fall in love with this cat. And for this, I'm going to point you towards a BuzzFeed, a BuzzFeed video on YouTube called People Who Hate Cats Hang Out With Them For A Week, and all of them end up adopting the cat. So <laughs> if you think you're only a maybe, you should foster the cat, which means you'll end up getting the cat. But if you're writing to us because you want us to say, no, you can't have a cat, then I stand with you and say, if you don't want the cat, don't get the cat. Jamila, you have a cat who I love seeing. <laughs> I do. I am a cat person. I am a cat person from both sides of my family. Everybody's a cat person. My grandmother's on both sides. My siblings have cats. My parents both have cats. We are cat people. And I think cat people are special people who should be protected and respected. And we are often neglected. And I think your daughter is one of us. So it is important that I think she gets a cat in her life before she is, you know, sadly she won't be able to have a cat until she's 20 or 21. If she goes to college, you can't have a cat in the dorm. I know people who've tried it. Doesn't work out. <laughs> doesn't work Don't out. Do She'd have to live on her own. <laughs> Don't do that. And even then your first apartment very well may be a place where you have roommates or rules about having pets. So it very well could be a long time before she's in a position to own a cat. And then she could find herself married to somebody like you, who does not want to have a cat around, and she's lost out on something that's very special to her. Elizabeth does raise a good point. If you know that your husband is not the person who's going to change the litter box, but he is very much in favor of allowing your child to do this, or you have had the crisis of conscience that helps you recognize that getting a cat is the right thing to do because you have foisted a dog upon this cat person that you have in your house um, and, and forced her to deal with him or her, I would say, you know, there are litter boxes that are self-cleaning in certain ways. They're not 100% self-cleaning. There's also the one that we have, which looks like a large plant pot. I use pine litter or wood litter uh, that doesn't have the same sort of smell that other litter boxes have. You still have to clean it regularly, but there are ways to avoid, I think, the traditional funky litter box that most of us think of when we think of having a cat in the house and the smell that comes with it. Um, But your child and your husband, if they are the ones to be responsible for taking care of this cat, have to be able to do that. So if it's a matter of having a sign up in your daughter's room that reminds her, you know, check with daddy about the litter box. Did daddy change the litter box? Or 
setting a reminder on your husband's phone to check the litter box a particular time of day. And you may have to be the one to set the reminder, but he should be responsible for doing it. And you all should talk about what happens if they prove themselves unable or unwilling to follow the rules that you all have agreed to, which is that you are largely going to be hands off with this cat. And I do believe that once you have a cat around, there's a very good chance that you will love it. And one concern that you raised that is a, a super valid one is the possibility that the cat will not take an interest to your daughter. I think that fostering is a really great way to give this a trial run. The challenge there could be if another family is, for whatever reason, able to adopt a cat that you all have gotten close to because they were already ahead of you on the waiting list or for whatever reason, and your child has become attached to this cat and then has to give it up. So I would say when you reach out to an organization that facilitates fostering, that you let them know that you all are considering having a cat. And is there a way that you all are able to care for a cat that is not already promised to another family? Or will you all have any sort of, oh, what's the word? Like a right of first refusal? Like <laughs> <laughs> No, that you have priority. That will you yeah, all somehow yeah. become prioritized on the list of potential adoptions if you all decide to adopt and figure out a way to, and I guess this is really the only way you can do it in the era of social distancing, allow your child to spend some intimate time with the cat and find that it is something that she actually wants to do. And I say, get the cat. Everyone's lives will be better for it or not. I think this lady honestly has got to get over her declaration that she's going to have nothing to do with this cat. Like, I just don't think that's the way families work. Yeah. Like, oh, so a, first of all, a seven-year-old is perfectly capable of cleaning out a litter box. So it should be part of the seven-year-old's tasks. The seven-year-old who so desperately wants a cat has been bugging you for five years about it. But the cat that I think you should just get is going to become part of your home and you, madam, sometimes will have to do things with the cat. And that's just the way that it is. And it's not going to help for you to be like a dick about it because it's not your cat and you're a dog person. Like, everyone should just be helping with all of the things. And it's great for the cat to be someone's primary responsibility, preferably your daughter's. But I also think that, like, if on occasion you are forced to do something with a cat. If you hold it over your husband because he likes cats and you already said you hate them, like that is not going to fucking help anything. So I think you just need to get the cat and everyone's right that in a week you'll think the cat is great and you'll love it. Cats are great. You will love the cat. I think you're right, Dan. I think it's unreasonable to say like, I'm just not going to do it, but it's fine to say I'm not going to be the only one doing this by myself. And definitely, that yes. is if that is what you all are looking for, or if that's how this goes down, we're going to have a serious problem because this was not a responsibility that I wanted to take on. It's one I'm taking on because of the two of you all, particularly our daughter. And so you two are going to have to step up and be the leaders of Team Cat. And I am here to support you. Letter writer, thank you. And we wish you all the best with your furry little ball of love who very well may end up taking to you more than she does your daughter or your husband. And this may very well end up being your cat. Cats are perverse that way. Yeah. Send us a picture of your cat because we know you're yeah. getting one. So, <laughs> God, I hope Harper doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> she will crush me. You'll find oh. out on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> find out on Thursday. Other listeners, again, if you'd like for us to weigh in on your problems or questions, send them our way. Send us an email at slate.com. Of course, the show isn't over just yet. We have recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us this week? So I am recommending that you put a toolbox in your next pickup order or Amazon cart and give it to your child to hold all of the little things that they collect. If you have a collector, I have three and we cannot go for a walk or really anywhere without coming home with treasures. And these treasures were making me crazy. So I gave each of them a little toolbox and they are able to fill them with their treasures. They each picked out a different type of toolbox with different, they're all plastic and they were all inexpensive, but with all kinds of different little compartments and things and they can fill them with their treasures. And when their boxes get full, they have to decide which treasures to get rid of, which has already happened to some of my 
children. Uh, if they choose to put things that used to be alive in them, the toolboxes have to be outside. But it's been a great way to just curtail like the pebbles that were in my washing machine. And the one of them picks up like hardware from the street that have fallen off of, I guess, people's vehicles. I don't know. Um, but now they're all neatly stored in toolboxes. Very nice. What do you have, Dan? My recommendation is related to my triumph. It's an electric lawnmower. For years, I hated mowing the lawn because I just, I hated lawnmowers. I hated those stupid machines. I hated gassing them up and dealing with their stupid finicky spark plugs or whatever and adding special fuel additive to the gas can because otherwise the gas goes bad. Who even knew you had to do that? It's so stupid. When we got back from the trip, I ditched our old lawnmower, which had just been sitting in the shed, like decaying the whole year anyway. And I bought an electric lawnmower and it is fucking great. It has a rechargeable battery. You just plunk it in there and then it starts by you pushing a button. You don't have to pull on the cord and then it just whirs away like it's supposed to. And it cuts all the grass in like 20 minutes and then you're done. And then it folds up and it lives in the basement. Having a simple electric device made it way easier to teach Lyra how to mow the lawn, made her way more interested in doing it. It's also, you know, cheaper in the long run, cleaner, easier. It's better in every single way than the old gas-powered lawnmower we used. I love it. The brand we bought is called a Ryobi. There's also 10 million other brands, Greenworks and Black & Decker, plenty of others. It was a great buy. I love it. Get yourself an electric lawnmower if you have a lawn to mow. We also have an electric lawnmower, but it plugs in. And I've run over the cord a lot of times. Yeah, I assumed I would run over the cord 10 million There's times. There's also one so. section of the grass that, is, that I can't reach from any outlet. So, sorry, neighbors. I've got a great solution for you. <laughs> you know, Jeff, I'm not getting a new lawnmower. You're right. It's just going to engineer go out some there solution. With, yeah, like big scissors. That's what he suggested. Yeah. yeah. I have three yeah. little boys. They should be out there doing it anyway. Fair, fair. Good, Jamila, good. what about you? What are you recommending? I am recommending a book called Me and My Feelings, A Kid's Guide to Understanding and Expressing Themselves. It's by Vanessa Green Allen. And it is a workbook in places and a very cool handy dandy guide for kids to stay in control of their feelings. It gives them tips on taking deep breaths, and talking about what's going on in their little minds and how I just think it's poised to be a very helpful tool in this household for a seven to 10 year old who at times struggles to articulate and process what's going on with her mind. And it helps kids to think about the ways that their feelings manifest themselves physically, feeling like you've got ants in your pants or having a stomach ache when you're feeling anxious. And it just has so many great ways to address these issues and affirmations and begin to identify what are their strengths and weaknesses and how can they utilize those throughout their lives and when in their encounters with their loved ones. Good recommendation. Thank you. That is our show for this week. If you have a question for us or a concern or a thought, please send an email to slate.com. Join us on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. And we're done here. Mom and Dad are Fighting is, of course, produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Qua and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.